Now, won't you give it up for Redeemed Youth Lifestyle, man. I love these girls, these kids, man. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing today? All right. All right. Some of y'all a little better than others. Some of y'all are. Amen. Mr. Bob, give me a yeah, man. That's right. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> Hallelujah. Turn with me to Acts 16, if you, if you would, church. Actually, I'm, I'm going to ask you to go to two parts of the scripture today. Acts 16, if you could just stick something there, if, uh, if you've got a uh, traditional Bible with you today. And then we're also going to be in uh, Genesis 32. So Acts 16 and Genesis 32 are the poor, four, or two parts of scripture that we're going to be in today. I'll be giving you some, some other scriptures as well, but we'll go through them fast so you don't have to turn there. Uh, most of them will be up on the screen. Uh, if you did not bring a traditional Bible, but you've got a digital Bible, then you can get around it probably a little quicker uh, than we can in a traditional Bible. And if you didn't bring either with you, it's okay. It's going to be up on the screen as we go. At least most of the scriptures will. Amen. So we have been in a series called Living an Empowered Life. And we've been in this series, this is part eight. So we have stayed here for a while. Uh, I felt the Lord speak to me that we needed to spend some time in the book of Acts. And how many of you know that the book of Acts is the perfect roadmap for the current church? Right? As, as a church that we, we from occasion, uh, need or on occasion, need to go back and reread and focus on the book of Acts and see what the early church did and how they had explained explosive moves of the spirit and how they had explosive growth and how they saw miracles and saw God work and I believe with all of my heart as do uh, I believe most of you in this place that those miracles and those explosive moves are for God, of God are as much for today as they were then amen if, if you believe in miracles today give a shout Right? If you believe we can see explosive moves of God today, give it up for them. Amen? We believe, we believe we don't have to sit in dry churches and we don't have to sing dry songs and we don't have to have dry moments with God. But today, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can see the same moves and the same miracles that they saw in Acts. Amen? We can see that. And we have been seeing that. We've seen some uh, healings in the body lately, some healings in the heart. Uh, we've seen all kinds kinds of stuff take place in the last few weeks and I'm so thankful, so thankful for that. So we are in part eight today uh, and today I'm going to be talking specifically about one thing and that's walking. Why don't you go ahead and look at a neighbor this morning and say walking. All right. Now, now some of us at, at some points or stages in our life uh, may have a harder time walking today than others physically, right? Uh, sometimes as we get older, we have a harder time doing the things when we did when we were young. But for the sake of this message, I want you to, to at least think back to a time when you had no trouble walking, even if you have some, some trouble walking today. Think back to that time. Now, my wife, uh, it, it, in, in everything within her is a walker right? Uh, she is a walker. Like she, and when I say that, like she's a walker, like what I mean by that is there's been seasons in her life where she walks uh, way too much, right? She goes on way too many walks, too many miles for me, right? That she walks a lot. And then she is that person that when you're sitting around on Thanksgiving dinner with the family and you just ate way too much and it was all you could do to walk from the table to the couch, right? And, and you sit down and, and you, and you, and you, you stick that hand in your waistband. I'm not going to do it for you today, but you stick that hand in your waistband. And you're like, ah, oh. and you just take that moment where you relax for a minute and everybody's like, oh yes. And then uh, my wife or her mama will, will inevitably every time say, you know what we ought to do? We ought to go for a walk. And me and Colin and some of the other guys are like, uh, y'all can go for a walk. I'm not going for a walk, right? But most of the ladies in the house will get up and go, yeah, we're going to go for a walk. And I, I think some of them don't even mean it. They're just doing it to be part of the group, right? Some of them are like, I'd much rather be laying on the couch watching TV with the guys, but we're going to go for a walk because that's what the ladies do, right? There, there were seasons in my, in my wife's life where she was a speed walker. Do you, do you, have you ever seen speed walkers in the Olympics? Right? They're like, they waddle. No, she wasn't a speedwalker. I'm teasing. I'm teasing about that. Uh, but, but you see some speedwalkers in the limits. They got those special outfits, 
right? Those, those really tight spandex outfits. And, uh, no, she didn't have that, I, I, I promise. And they have those helmets with the long tails on the back to get into the breeze, right? And I don't know why runners don't need that, but speedwalkers need that, right? And, and speedwalkers are just walking like crazy. There was points in time in my wife's life, though, where she would go every week with a friend of hers, and she would walk this nine-mile loop in Crystal River. And it was a dirt trail, right? Out, out in the middle of, by the Eco Trail in Crystal River off of Tallahassee Avenue, if you're familiar with that. And she would go with a friend, and they would have to take a trail to the trail, right? So they would take a trail to get to the trail that they were going to hike. Now, I was good taking just the trail to the trail, right? At that point, I was like, okay, I'm ready to go home. You know, I'm done. But she would take the trail to the trail and then start this nine-mile loop. And they would walk nine miles on that loop uh, every week. And sometimes, probably a couple times a week, she would do that. And one particular time, she missed the trail to the trail. And by the time she realized it, had already had like 14 miles in because she was making her second loop on this nine-mile loop. And at 14 miles in, she figured, okay, I guess I've got to go ahead and finish it because it's the same as turning around and going back. And she walked 18 miles, right? And and then there was times that she got lost out there and got turned around and got blisters and I had to drive out in my Jeep and go find her and and rescue her, you know? But, But she was a walker. And it was during that time in our life probably in our late 20s, when Jessica came to me with the idea of walking on the Appalachian Trail. It's like, we walked this nine-mile loop. We're going to go walk. Honey, this time, instead of taking a normal vacation, you and I, we're going to take our vacation budget. We're going to spend it on a bunch of hiking and tent equipment. And we're going to drive to North Georgia. And we're going to go backwards on the Appalachian Trail because that's the end of the Appalachian Trail, right? It starts in Maine uh, and we weren't doing all that just so you know. We were going to do 20 miles of the Appalachian Trail over three days and hike and tent and hike and tent and then get a cab back to where we parked, right? And that was our intention. And we went and spent uh, a couple thousand dollars on equipment. We bought the the most high-tech stuff, the best backpacks, sleeping bags, tents, everything that you could get. I I got, you know, you know me, I had to get the water purifier system that you drop in a mud puddle and it comes out clear. You know, I I had to get the white titanium cook stove top with a titanium lid and titanium silverware. You know, if we were going to do this thing, we were going to do this thing, right? And we drove to North Georgia and we pull into Amicalola Falls State Park, which is this, uh, which is where the Appalachian Trail ends. And we pulled in, and right when we came up the driveway, we saw the most gorgeous lodge right on the right. And we thought, you know, we ought to at least walk in there and see what it's like. And we walked in that lodge, and then you know, we, we looked at each other, and we said, you know, we ought to at least stay one night here. So maybe instead of 20 miles, maybe we'll cut it down to 10 miles and we'll stay one night in the lodge. How does that sound? I said, you know, that sounds pretty good, baby. I think I can get behind that. You know, so we left all the stuff in the car, checked into a room. We were in this beautiful lodge. It had a gigantic stuffed like grizzly bear in the front entrance of it. It was just so cool. And we were in this lodge and then we thought, you know, we got to do something today. And they have the tallest, tallest waterfall uh, this east of the Mississippi right? This waterfall is 729 feet down. If you've ever been in Amicalola Falls Park, I was so excited to see this waterfall. Now, I knew it was the tallest. I had no idea it was the skinniest. I mean, it looked like a water hose just pouring down the mountain. (laughs) And I was like, there ain't nothing to see here, man. I was looking for the roar, the you know, and the mist coming off of it. And I'm like, uh, somebody just turned on a water hose. Like, that's all it is. Just coming down the mountain. But it was 729 feet down. And guess what they had next to it? A staircase. So we decided we're going to go to the bottom and see if it's any more impressive. So we, we start down the staircase. And can I tell you all that halfway down that staircase, I was in trouble. Now, my wife was used to walking nine miles uh, a couple of times a week. Uh, I spent the majority of my time behind a desk in an office. Halfway down that staircase, I was in trouble. And when we got to the bottom of that staircase, I was laying on the ground, sucking air in like, and I was literally, wasn't I, honey? I mean, I I ain't even kidding. I was laying on the ground, sucking in air, tourist. Tourists were stepping over me, you know, stepping right over me. I don't even know where they're from, Talk, not even talking English, just stepping over me, looking, you know, and, and walking on. And, and I was sitting there just sucking air, you know. Try, it took me 15 minutes to catch my breath. And then I caught my breath 
and we stood up and I looked at my wife and said, there ain't no way I'm carrying a 60 pound bag and going hiking in the mountains. <laughs> there ain't no way I couldn't make it down that wooden staircase. There ain't no way we're going to do that. So you know what we did? We stayed two nights in the lodge. <laughs> and then because I'm a little hard-headed and we spent so much money on all that hiking equipment, we set up the tent in the parking lot the third night. <laughs> and we slept in that tent. And can I tell y'all, that third night was miserable. Like, I didn't enjoy it one bit, right? We, we did take a couple of little walks out uh, on the trail for a moment. And I'm so glad we didn't try to do 20 miles, y'all. I, I am so glad. I, I think to myself, you know, that even in my late 20s, you know, uh, three kids and all, all that we did, I thought, you know, I could still do anything. You know, like I was 18, but the truth was I couldn't, right? We couldn't do that. So walking, if you read through scriptures, is talked about all through the Bible. The Bible has walking everywhere, right? Everywhere, you, as you look through it, there was times where people walked every place they went, right? There was no cars. Uh, there was no trucks. There was no SUVs, right? Sometimes they rode a boat. Uh, sometimes they would ride a donkey or a horse. But most times, if you read in scriptures, they walked. Uh, and then you see in scriptures language like this, people walked with God. Uh, we use that language today, that in my walk with God, right? And, and most of us in this room have probably said that a time or two in our, in our existence as Christians, right? We said in our walk with God. So in Micah 6, 8, it says this, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with the Lord. It talks about walking. And then in Matthew 5, 16, it says to humbly walk with God is to live in such a way that others may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. The Bible talks about Enoch. And the Bible says about Enoch that Enoch had a close walk with God. Enoch walked with God. And then it, it talks about Noah and Levi. And both Noah and Levi were spoken of in the Bible as walking with God. Walking with God. And then you see moments like uh, Adam in Genesis. In the, in the very first couple of chapters of Genesis, you see Adam. And, and it says about Adam that Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. Right? That he walked with God. And then in scripture, you come across times like this that are just absolutely crazy and blow our minds because it's so supernatural. But you read a story in the New Testament where Jesus and Peter walked on what? They walked on water, right? I don't know. Have you ever tried to walk on water? I did when I was a kid. I thought, man, if I can get moving fast enough, I can get across this pool, right? It, no, it don't work. Right? I, I could not walk on water, right? But Jesus and Peter, in a supernatural way, how many of you know when you walk on water, it requires God? Like, it requires God showing up if you're going to walk on water. When you step on water, you immediately sink in it, right? So for you to walk across water, much less like Peter and Jesus did, walking across in the middle of a storm with some high waves and some crazy stuff happening, and they're walking across on water, right? Uh, you see that, you know that that's got to be God showing up, right? That's got to be God. In order for me to have walked 20 miles with a 60-pound pack in the Apalachicola, right, it had to be God, right? And, and I didn't have God with me, so I didn't go, right? But, but in that case, that would have had to have been God for me to do that, just like walking on water. Uh, Jesus and the disciples, it says, all through time walked from location to location. When they traveled somewhere, they walked. When they got to where they were going, they were walking. Uh, I want to talk about, if you it would turn to that Genesis 32 for me for a minute, I want to dive back out of Acts for just a moment, and then we're going to come back to where we were last week. But I want to dive back out of Acts and, and, and go to Genesis and talk about a guy named Jacob. I want to talk about Jacob for just a couple of moments, right? So, so Jacob uh, in Genesis had run away. Say run. Running is just fast walking, right? He, he ran away from his home. He left his family. Why? Because he cheated them. He cheated his dad. He cheated his brother. He committed some sins. He did some wrongs. His mom encouraged him to do it. And then in the moment when he was going to have to pay the price for his cheating, his mom encouraged him to walk away. 
you better walk away. You better get out of here. You better run fast. Why don't you go ahead and go to some family on the other side over there? Why don't you go ahead and get as far away as you can? Because if you don't, your brother's going to kill you, right? So you need to go. So Jacob ran from his brother. He cheated him out of his birthright. He cheated him out of his blessing. And then he ran away. So Jacob left. And then he left his home and he spent years away. He married two wives. How many of you know Jacob must have been crazy? Right? Jacob was crazy. He married two wives. He had all this going on. He, he began to build a family. He built all of this livestock. He began to collect all of this livestock. He collected all of these tents and all of this equipment. He began to collect all of these people. He gained servants and employees. And he had all of this stuff going for him. And then God told him, I want you to return back home. So Jacob is in a moment of being obedient to God with everything that he has, everybody that he has with him, his whole family, and they start off on a journey with everything that he owns, walking back to where God told him to go, which is to return back home. So we see Jacob walking back home, and when he gets close, and he's walking back to his homeland, when he gets close, he sends his family on so that he could seek God for a moment. He sends his family. How many of you believe Jacob was scared of Esau? Jacob was worried. Jacob did Esau wrong. And if you read the scriptures, you know Esau was a bad dude. Right? Esau was a big guy. Esau was hairy, man. That enough. If he was that hairy, that enough would scare you, right? I mean, he was a hairy big dude. He liked to hunt. That means he knew how to kill things, right? Jacob was scared returning back and facing the things that he had done to his brother. He was, he was scared and he, and he came back, he had to face this. So he stops at a place called the Jabbok Brook and he stops at a particular fork of the Jabbok Brook and, and he sends his family on because he knows that he's going to need to meet with God to get some encouragement, to get some strength, to know that he can go face his brother. So he, 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 he sends his family on. He sits in this brook. And then we see an angel. It says an angel of the Lord. actually says a man with an uppercase M in the, in the New Testament comes and begins to wrestle with him. Now, if you had never read scripture in your life and you just came across this story, you'd be like, what? Like, what? who's this dude? And why did he show up out of nowhere and just started wrestling with Jacob? Like, are they WWF fans? Like, is he coming off the top rope? Like, what's going on here? Like, why, why did this come out of nowhere? Like, they're walking back. They're going to see. Jacob says, hey, y'all, go ahead. I've got to spend some time with the Lord. I'm going to get in my prayer closet for a minute and get encouraged to make sure that I can do what I need to do. And then a man shows up, and next thing you know, it's WWF, and they're wrestling. Right? What in the world? What is going on? So Jacob starts wrestling, and, and when it says a man with an uppercase M, most religious scholars believe that this was Jesus pre-incarnate. That Jesus had come to meet with Jacob. That Jesus had come to prepare Jacob for what all he was going to do. That Jesus had come to prepare Jacob for the walk that he had to, to, had to do after this meeting. Not just the walk to meet Esau, but the walk that he had to do to become Israel, the father of the 12 tribes of Judah. Right? Jesus came to begin to prepare him and get him ready for this moment. So Jacob finds himself not just praying to God, but finds himself wrestling with God. I wonder if anybody in this room has ever found yourself wrestling with the Lord. Anybody in this room ever in the moment, like you intended just to pray. You intended just to listen and be obedient. But the Lord spoke something to you that jumped out so hard that you found yourself arguing or wrestling with the Lord. And you find yourself wrestling in that moment. This is where Jacob is. Jacob is facing something horrible. He's got to face his past. He's got to face his sins. He's got to face things that he's done wrong. And in this moment, he finds himself wrestling with God. Jacob's getting ready to face Esau. I already said how scary Esau was. So he's facing his fears. He's facing his turmoil. And he's struggling within himself. I wonder how many people today in this place could be honest and say, there's seasons that I struggle within myself. There's seasons that I know what God has asked me to do and I know I'm supposed to do it, but I am just struggling inside of myself, Pastor Steve. There's a WWF match going on on the inside of me 
right? And, and the only references I have for that, if Pastor John was up here, he'd tell you who's wrestling today. But I'm telling you, the only references I have is Rowdy Roddy Piper coming off the top ropes, right? Rowdy Roddy Piper and Ric Flair going, woo, you know, and, and all this stuff. The Iron Cheek's like, oh, no, no, and, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan, right? Do, do, do. All this stuff's going on on the inside of you. Right? You, you, there's a full-blown WWF wrestling match. It's, it's, it's not just a match. It's a, it's a cage match. Right? It's a steel cage match. People are jumping off 30 feet high cages and landed on each other. Right? And all of this struggle is going on inside of you. And I'm telling you right now that that's where Jacob was in this moment. All of the turmoil. All of the things that he did wrong. All of his past. All of the situations. His, if you're from the south, his chickens were coming home to roost. Right? All of this was about to happen and Jacob was getting ready to face everything that he feared. Now Jacob begins to wrestle with the Lord. Let's read, let's read that. Verse 30. Uh, we're going to read in verse 22 through 32. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed over the fort of Jabbok. He took them and sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone and a man, notice a capital M, a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. They didn't just wrestle. They wrestled all night until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And that's Jacob talking, by the way. I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why? How do you know this is Jesus? If you read the New Testament, Jesus answers every question with a question. Right? He does it all the time. Right here he says, why is it that you ask about my name? And then he blessed him there. Verse 30. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he what? Y'all, somebody with me, right? And he what? He limped. He crossed over Peniel, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle of that shank. He limped. Wait a minute. So Jacob got the blessing, but he also got wounded? Jacob got blessed, but he also got wounded? You mean Jacob was blessed, but he was also wounded? This doesn't make sense. This doesn't line up with scripture. Oh, it is scripture. You know, a lot of times we think that if we're walking in blessing, no bad thing will ever happen to us. If we're walking with blessing, we never have to face our fears. If we're walking in blessing, we never have a struggle. If we're walking in blessing, we never have to deal with anything heavy. But in this moment in scripture, we see Jacob get blessed by Jesus after wrestling with him all night long. And Jesus himself says, Jacob, you have prevailed. Jacob, you have come through this fight. Jacob, you have wrestled with God and you are still alive. Jacob, you have wrestled with me and you have come through this fight. And you know what? You have asked me for the blessing and I'm going to bless you. But when he blessed him, why didn't Jacob walk away upright? If he blessed him after he popped his, his, his hip out of joint, why, why wasn't Jacob completely healed in that moment? So in that moment, Jacob was blessed, but he was also wounded. He was blessed, but his walk changed a little bit. He was blessed... But when he came up to his family, they noticed a significant limp in his stride. They noticed that something was going on. I want to tell you today, church, that we, we always walk 
right? I asked you in the beginning, how many of you have referred to your time walking with the Lord as walking with the Lord, right? We, we, we all say, we always walk. But can I tell you today that there's some days you have to walk wounded. There's some seasons you have to walk wounded. There's some times in your life that you got to deal with being wounded. There's some, there's some seasons that are like that. See, sometimes we walk just fine, right? And those are the seasons and the times that, that we, we say, Woo, I'm killing it. Right, Ryan? I, I'm killing it. I am a rock star. Life is good. And we walk like this. Life is good. Right? Everything is well. Everything's all right. And then sometimes we get, we, we, we get so excited about life and we get so full of ourselves and how we're walking with life that we even add a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a stride. Yeah, that's right. That's me. What? Oh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm coming. Right? We, we add a little bit of a stride to our walk because we're just killing it. Right? And it's an intentional limp. And it's called having, having some flair in our walk. Having a strut in our walk. Right? It's an intentional limp. But then sometimes we get injured. Because of life, when we're killing it, and life hits back. And then all of a sudden, our this went to this. And man, I was walking just fine. And why did this have to happen? I was walking just fine. Man, I was blessed. And then we view, man, I'm no longer blessed. Man, I'm walking with a limp. And I'm here to tell you today that within Scripture, Scripture gives us many circumstances where your blessing with God, and I said it last week, your blessing in your life has less to do with your circumstances and more to do with your state of mind. That your blessing with God is not dependent upon your lack of wounds. Your blessing with God is dependent upon your ability to still walk when you're wounded. I've been wounded, but I'm still walking. I've been wounded, and I'm still walking it out. I've been wounded. But thank God I can still walk. I've been wounded, but I'm still blessed. I've been wounded, but God, you're still in my life. I've been wounded, but God, you're going to see me through this. I've been wounded, but God, you can heal wounds because that's what you do. I've been wounded, but Lord Jesus, you, you took those stripes for all of my infirmities, outside and inside. I've been wounded, and emotionally, I feel like I can't walk, but God gives me all the strength that I need to stand up and continue to walk and continue to worship and continue to pray and continue to seek God even through my wounds. And even, even in this moment... I can still do it. So we, we have to make a decision. I've been wounded. So because I've been wounded, I deserve the right to just sit out. I deserve that. I deserve the right to stop everything God has asked me to do. I deserve the right to just sit out. I'm not going to do anything else for the Lord. I'm just going to sit here. And I'm going to wait and see if my wounds heal. Right? So we have this decision to make in the moment. Do I sit? Or do I walk? Do I sit wounded? Or do I walk wounded? And we, we see time and time again in Scripture that people receive their healing when they stepped out. The pool was troubled. And there was a lame man laying next to the pool. And Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? And he said, I can't even get in the water. You know, only the first person in the water gets healed. I can't even move to get in the water. I'm just laying here wounded. And Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And he's making excuses. And Jesus is going, do you want to be healed? And there's many times in Scripture where Jesus healed people who stepped out. 
right? So we can sit and wait and see if the wound heals, or we can step out and begin to walk with a limp. And it hurts. It hurts to walk with a limp. And it, it's not fun. But what you'll see is God honoring you, stepping out in your wounds. And then before you know it, still got a limp, but walking a little faster. I've still got a limp, but the pain's not as prevalent as it was. I still got, hey, look at that. Hey, you know, I know that wound is still there. Where's Henry? Henry had knee surgery, right? He was walking with a limp, man. He was, he was wounded from the doctors, right? But it was a good wound. Because they, they healed something inside of him. They fixed something inside him that was broken. But for a while, he was walking like this. And for a while, he couldn't make it up the stairs. And then it was a couple of weeks ago, he walks in the front foyer. And he goes, hey, Pastor Steve. And I said, hey, buddy, what's up? And he goes... Dancing like a white dude, man. He was. He's a drummer, but he still dances like a white dude. He, he, he was dancing out. <laughs> he, was, he was dancing out in the lobby, and he's going, look, look. Can I tell you today that if you don't sit, but you get up, what do they tell you when you've, when you've gone through an injury and you leave the hospital after getting the repair? They send you to a what? And what do they do with a rehab? They get you up and they start walking you, right? And it hurts. And it's no fun. And, and the few, first few times you do it, it brings some tears to your eyes. But pretty soon, they release you from that rehab and send you home because now you can walk on your own. You're still walking with a limp, but you can walk on your own. And then you keep walking on your own. And pretty soon, the limp's gone. Pretty soon God has finished that process in you. And, and this stuff that happens in the physical, can I tell you, for everything that we go through in the physical, we have the same things that we go through emotionally. You can have a physical wound or you can have an emotional wound. You can have a spiritual wound. I had a conversation with somebody this week that I care about greatly. And in that conversation, it came out, man, I've got some church wounds. I've got some spiritual wounds. I've been hurt, Pastor Steve. You know, and it's spiritual wounds, emotional wounds, physical wounds, they're all the same. You still have to make the decision to walk. You have to make the decision to walk it out. So do we continue our journey? Do we postpone our journey? Or do we stop our journey? That's the three questions that we ask whenever we get wounded. What do we do in that moment? Here's some insight for us today. It takes the same miracle to walk on water as it does to walk wounded. The same miracle that it required for Peter to go out and meet Jesus on the waves is the same miracle that it's required for you to stand up and say, Lord, I'm taking this step in faith. Lord, oh, look at that. I can still walk. I didn't think I could. I didn't think I could walk on water, but Lord, the same miraculous supernatural strength that it took for Peter to walk on water is the same supernatural miraculous strength that causes you to be able to walk even when you're wounded, causes you to continue to move forward. Amen. So sometimes it's hard to reconcile our wounds with our blessings, right? It just is. We're human. We have human nature. We have flesh. And it's hard to reconcile that. So we ask questions like this. Lord, if you love me, why'd you let me get hurt? Lord, why didn't you warn me that this was coming? Lord, why didn't you just take them out before they got to me? We begin to ask questions like that to God. And, 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 and we, we sit wounded and we say, Lord, why not? Lord, if you loved me, why'd you do this? Lord, if you loved me, why'd you allow this? Lord, if you loved me, why'd you let me get hurt? And we ask questions like that when we should be asking questions like this. And this one's okay. Lord, why did this happen to me? 
That one's okay. Because you know why? Because God has big shoulders. Big shoulders. Lord, why did this happen to me? And then, but then we have to transition from that one to this. Lord, what do I need to learn from this? Lord, what do you use in this situation to teach me? What do I need to learn? Lord, what changes do I need to make out of this? Lord, I've been wounded, but what changes do I need to make out of this? What do I need to do in this moment? And then, Lord, how is this going to help me do more for you? You see the transition there? Right, it starts off with, Lord, why this happened to me? And that's okay, that's okay to ask. And then you move into, Lord, what do I need to learn from this? Teach me. Teach me, Lord, so I can get through this quickly because I want to pass this test. I don't want to sit in this misery for long, Lord. Teach me so that I can move through this quickly. And then, Lord, what changes do I need to make in this? I want to pick up what you're laying down, Lord. So what changes do I need to make in me out of this? And then, Lord, how is this going to help me do more for you? That's the ultimate transition that comes at the end of the questioning. Right? Is, Lord, how does this hurt and this wound and this situation in my life cause me to do more for the kingdom? How does it do more? See, new perspective is the catalyst of change. Where's my friend? I was talking to Craig Jones after service last week, and I used the word catalyst a lot in my last message. And Craig is a scientist, and, and Craig said, you know, Pastor Steve, I want to give you a simple scientific definition for, for, for catalyst, and it's this. It's a substance whose presence lowers the barrier to activation. A substance whose very presence lowers the barriers to activation. And when he first told me that, I'm a little dense and I didn't grisp it. And I said, are you telling me I used the word wrong? Like, what, what do you mean? You know, and he's like, uh, no. And then he had to explain it to me, right? I'm like, okay, okay, I get it now. I get it now, right? So he added to that, that he texted me, he added to that in the phone call that we had after that. And he said, it's a substance whose presence lowers the barrier to activation without depleting itself. And he said, that's a great definition for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in our life is the catalyst of change. The very presence of the Holy Spirit in your life lowers the barriers to change so that you can activate something new in your life and move in a new direction. So you can change your perspective because the Holy Spirit is the substance living within you that lowers the barriers to you having change in your life. So when you say to me, Pastor Steve, I can't change. Pastor Steve, this is just who I am. This is just how I do it. This is how I deal with it. And I say to you, do you have the Holy Spirit? Because if you have the Holy Spirit, you can change. <laughs> Give me a yeah, man, Bob. Yeah, man. Now listen, it's okay to nurse your wounds for a minute, okay? I'm not saying the moment the wound happens that you got to get up and start walking. That's not what I'm saying. You know, you may have to lay there for a minute like I did at the bottom of the staircase and catch your breath, <laughs> right? Sometimes it takes a moment to catch your breath. <gasps> and whoever from whoever stepping over you, right? Yeah, sometimes couldn't even move, man. I'm like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Couldn't even move. You may have to lay there for a moment and catch your breath. And that's okay, man. It's okay to nurse your wounds for a minute. But it's not okay to let your wounds fester. It's not okay to let your wounds take you out. You catch your breath and then you start walking. Because the sooner you start walking, the sooner you get healed. The more you lay there, the more festering the wounds become. The sooner you get walking, the quicker you get healed, right? We have to walk this out. So let's go back to Paul. I want to close this, this message talking about Paul. So in, in Acts 16 is where we're going to be for a minute. I had you kind of hold that place. You can turn there now if you like. But before we, I, I go to that, I want to talk about a scripture I quoted last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when Paul listed out his tribulations. We can all agree that Paul was a mighty man of God. We can all agree that Jesus came to Paul and picked him himself like he did the rest of the disciples, although he did it after he went to heaven. 
came back and, and, and picked Paul himself and began to train Paul and hand sent him to who he wanted to train him, right? Paul had big role to play in the New Testament. Big role to play, right? And yet we see Paul, mighty man of God, blessed man of God, get wounded time and time again. And in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul lists out his tribulations. He says, I was beaten by the Jews. I was beaten by the Gentiles. I was shipwrecked three times. I had perils on land and perils by the sea. He said, I spent a day and a night floating in the open ocean. Have you ever seen Jaws? <laughs> a day and a night in the open ocean floating. His own people tried to kill him. And ultimately, after preaching the gospel and planting churches and going through all that he went to, ultimately, uh, scholars believe that he died a martyr's death by getting his head chopped off. And yet we somehow think that we can escape this Christian walk without ever having a wound. We somehow think that when we get our, listen, and I'm going to say this, and I'm not making light of your wounds but our little wounds in comparison to what Paul had to go through. Anybody in here been beaten by rods? Imprisoned? A couple people? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Anybody in here been shipwrecked three times? Right? Getting stuck out in the flats in Ozello because the tide went out ain't the same thing. Where's, where's my son? <laughs> that ain't the same thing. Right? You got shipwrecked three times. Anybody out here been in the open sea for a day and a night in the water? No, man. See, Paul's been through some stuff. Anybody in here's own people try to kill you? Yeah, probably a couple of you. <laughs> Paul's, Paul's been through some stuff. See, sometimes this, this is how we get our wounds, guys. Is sometimes our wounds are self-inflicted. See, we, we make the assumption, because we read Paul and we read this stuff, that sometimes our wounds uh, are always from other people, right? But, but no, look at Jacob, right? His wounds were self-inflicted. Jacob made some bad decisions. Jacob had to face, uh, he had to face his past sins, right? His wounds were self-inflicted, man. I, I did this to myself. I can't blame nobody else. It was self-inflicted. And then sometimes your wounds are they inflicted. What's they inflicted? It means people who had foolish or evil intent inflicted wounds on you. People who didn't like you inflicted wounds on you. People who, who wanted to hurt you inflicted wounds on you. So you have self-inflicted wounds. You have they inflicted wounds. And then sometimes you are a casualty of friendly fire. Sometimes somebody that loves you inflicts a wound on you. So all three of those wounds take place in our lives. There's times we do it to ourselves. There's times people that don't like us do it to us. And then there's times that people that love us still inflict a wound on us. But no matter how we got that wound, can I tell you it's still important to stand up and walk it out. It's still important to stand up and start to walk. It doesn't matter how you got it. Doesn't matter how you got it. Self-inflicted, they inflicted, or friendly fire does not matter. What does matter is that you get healed. What does matter is that you begin to walk. So Paul and Silas were wounded, and they were walking it out. Paul and Silas in Acts 16 were wounded. They were beaten and imprisoned. They, they were beaten with rods and thrown in prison. It was actually, the Romans thought that that, that uh, torture was so intense that they outlawed it to Roman citizens, right? They said, we can beat anybody who's not a Roman citizen, but if it's a Roman citizen, that's illegal because that, that torture is so bad. And they beat Paul and they beat Silas with his rods and threw them into the inner portion of the jail. Not just the regular jail. Threw them into the inner portion of the jail where I, I, I would imagine is particularly nasty. I would imagine it's particularly gross in there. So to have festering wounds and then tossed into the inner portions of the jail where it's nasty. And then Paul and Silas sat there in their wounds for a moment and caught their breath. And then they figuratively began to walk. How did they begin to walk? 
they lifted their hands and they said, Oh God, you are so good. And they started to sing and they started to worship. And they started to, what did they do? They ushered in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in this moment, as they're worshiping and they're walking it out, their chains dropped, the doors opened, and they made a run for it. No, they didn't. I would have. <laughs> you ever get to that part of the story and you go, why didn't you leave? God opened the door, dropped the chains, that's your cue. You know, here's your sign, right? Why didn't you leave? But he was listening to the Lord. And he stayed wounded. And then he found himself, he and Silas, ministering to the jailer and the jailer's family. Why didn't he leave? He had work to do. Wounded. He was working wounded. And he ministers to the jailer and his family, leads them all to Christ. Baptizes all of them. All the while, wounded. He baptizes them. But you know what happens when people that don't know what you know about the gospel and people that don't know what you know about Jesus and people who don't know what you know about the Holy Spirit see something in your life that doesn't make sense. I know the wound that they received and they're walking. Wait a minute, that, that dude wrecked that motorcycle going 110, flipped it head over head down the interstate, and he's walking? Have you ever said that? You ever seen somebody who went through a horrific accident, and you're like, you're up and around? You're walking? Can I tell you that non-believers will have the same uh, astonishment at you when you go through something that, tra that traumatizes you emotionally? And then they see you walking. I don't know what you got, but why don't you tell me about it? I don't know how you made it through this, but why don't you share it with me? That's what the jailer did to Paul and Silas. Man, we just beat you. We just imprisoned you. Like, I still see blood pouring out of your backs. And you're worshiping? What kind of God do you serve that in the midst of your wound, you worship? Man, see, your correct perspective shakes their perspective. Because the world has certain perspectives. But your correct perspective, which comes from God, shakes the world's perspective. But if we Christians aren't careful... We'll grab a hold of the wrong perspective. And we'll start hugging and holding on to the world's perspective instead of God's perspective. But if we want real healing and we want a real catalyst to a change, we've got to grab a hold of God's perspective, catch our breath, and start walking. Start limping. Okay, this is what I got to do. Okay, Lord, I'm listening to you. I'm obedient today. I'm hurting really bad, but I'm going to do this, Lord. I, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that my wounds are going to heal. Thank you, Jesus, that the things that are, that are going on in my life that I think you can't, you can't even touch, that I think won't ever change, can be healed. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. That Oh, thank you, Jesus. Uh, thank you, Lord, that I got peace in my household. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for driving out the evil that's been in my household that's been causing us problems and situations. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that my, my child came back to you. That child that I thought was too far gone, but now I see. And, and that child wounded me when he left or when she left. But I know that she's coming back because I've been praying, and God, you are faithful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for healing my relationships. Thank you, Jesus, for healing my body. Thank you, Jesus, for healing my mind. Thank you, Jesus, for healing my emotions. Thank you, Jesus. 
Now, because Paul and Silas were beaten and imprisoned and they didn't allow the chains to break their praise, their praise shook the foundations of the jailer and his whole household. The whole foundation changed. If we flip back before Acts 16 and we start reading, we see that they ended up here in this place because the Holy Spirit redirected them and sent them. See, we didn't read that part last week. But if we were to dive backwards, we would see that the Holy Spirit uh, forbid them from going the way they were going and told them to go this way. You mean the Holy Spirit knew what was going to happen to them and still sent them in that direction? Yeah. Why, Lord? Wait a minute, let's go back. Lord, why did this happen to me? Okay, Lord, then what do I need to learn from this? Okay, Lord, then what changes do I need to make? Okay, Lord, now that this has happened to me and I've accepted it and I'm ready to receive it and make the changes that I need to make, Lord, how is this going to help me do more for the kingdom? And then you begin to walk it out. Choosing to walk in your woundedness gives you more authority and gives you more anointing in your walk in the kingdom. Acts 16, 35 through 37. This is at the end of this, of this particular story. And it, when it was the day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. We've beaten you wrongfully. We've imprisoned you wrongfully. The Lord came and broke the prison cells and you stayed. And then you ministered to the jailer and all of his family and baptized them. But now it's time for you to go. Depart and go in peace. And Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, sir. No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. Paul was gangster. (laughs) Paul said, oh, you want us to leave quietly? No, not going to happen. Oh, you want us to sneak out the back door because you broke the law when you beat Roman citizens? No, not going to do that. Oh, you want us to quietly leave town? No, no. Matter of fact, the people who made this decision... Let them come get us out. Paul was gangster. You know why? Because Paul walked in authority and power and anointing. You know why? Because Paul didn't let his wounds define him. But he chose to allow the wounds to give him more power and authority and anointing. Amen? The Lord didn't keep Paul from experiencing wounds, but he used the wounds to endow Paul with great power. Paul not only walked wounded, guys, he ran. He didn't just walk wounded. He hiked the whole Appalachian Trail with an 80-pound back on in his wounds. There was a time in Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when Paul asked the Lord to remove a particular wound three times. And he said this, he said, I asked the Lord three times to take it away from me. And he answered me, I'm all you need. I give you my loving favor. My power works best in weak people. I am happy to be weak and have troubles so I can have Christ's power in me. I receive joy when I am weak. I receive joy when people talk against me and make it hard for me and try to hurt me and make trouble for me. I receive joy when all these things come to me because of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the same Paul. Same Paul. Paul said, and and I would have to venture to believe that this was a self-inflicted wound. He asked him three times, Lord, remove it. And the Lord answered this. Come help me, Pastor Brad. The Lord answered, I am sufficient for you. When you're weak, 
I am strong. So in this moment, when you catch your breath and you stand up, you begin to worship and you begin to praise him and you begin to walk it out. You walk it out and you recognize that there's still some pain at first when you're walking it out. There's still some hurt. There's still some pain. But you begin to praise through it. Because God works best in your weakness. When you're weak, he is strong. Amen? And in that moment, in that moment when you ask God, why? Why? God speaks the same thing to you. I am sufficient. I'm all you need. Grab a hold of me. Take my hand. That's all right. That was the Lord. (laughs) Grab a hold of me. Take my hand. Close your eyes if you must. But let's walk into this battle together. I've got you. You can do this. Hold my hand. Let's walk. And sometimes you need to get with people who are willing to help you walk. You say, Jesus has this. <laughs> and I'm going to walk this out. And there will come a time, and I promise you, there will come a time when you don't even recognize that you're not limping anymore at first. And you go, wait a minute. Henry, where, where did that limp go? Wait a minute. I can climb these stairs? What? Wait a minute. And then this is what will happen. You'll be in that moment. And you'll be like. (laughs) You do the the Henry Hula. Because you got to give God praise for what he did. Amen. Would you stand with us today? some folks in this room today and and you're wounded you're wounded and maybe you've been sitting wounded maybe you've been walking wounded but you still recognize that you're dealing with the wounds and I want to invite you today that if that's you to step out of your seat as Pastor Brad begins to play and just come up front Jessica and I want to pray for you and I want to ask some of my prayer support team to just stand behind the folks who come up just to just to get behind them and help Jessica and I pray for them. Thank you, sir. You bring restoration. You bring restoration. You bring restoration to my soul. You bring restoration. You bring restoration. You bring restoration to my soul. In hallelujah, hallelujah, you make all things new. 
can all things new. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. You make all things new. You bring restoration. You bring restoration. Restoration to my soul. You bring restoration. You're making all things new. You bring restoration. You bring restoration to my soul. You're taking my pain and you call me by a new name. Taking my shame and in its place, you give me joy. You take in my pain, I'll never walk the same. You call me by a new name. Oh, you take in my shame And in its place You give me joy You bring restoration You bring restoration Bring restoration to my soul. You bring restoration. You bring restoration. Into my soul, and hallelujah, hallelujah, he makes all things new and all things new, and hallelujah. Restoration. You bring restoration. You bring restoration. 
restoration into my soul. You're taking my pain. You call me by a new name. You're taking my shame And in its place You give me joy You're taking my pain Now I'll never walk the same You're taking my shame And in its place You give me joy Because you bring restoration You bring restoration You bring restoration to my soul. You bring restoration. You bring restoration. 